0: The Big Picture in Parenting. Stories story is told of uh, a man who visited a construction site. At the construction site, there are many people doing different things. He walked to one of the men who was working and asked him, What are you doing? And he said, I lay stones, I am a mason. All right. He asked another who was mixing sand and cement and they told him what they were doing. And as he kept walking from man to man, he could hear somebody chiseling stone away. And he walked to the stone chiseler and he asked him, what are you doing? And he paused and said, We are building a cathedral. That man did not see himself as a stone chiseler, as a man who shapes stones, but as a builder of the cathedral. And he said, This stone you see here, this one right here, is going to go in that corner of the cathedral. He saw the big picture. And the big picture informed everything that he was doing. Many of us in our parenting journey are preoccupied with the small details. The details of what they'll wear today. Is the school uniform clean? Have the shoes been polished? Yes, those details are important. But in the eyes of God, what is the big picture? Now I'm going to give you four points that constitute the big picture. And then I'll break them down so that we can process them together. When Reverend Kimori and I were chatting back and forth this morning and I sent over the verses to be used, I said, this is more than 30 verses. We're going to have great Bible study. And he assured me this is a Bible teaching church. You don't shy away from the word of God. Those who mentored me told me we are not teaching you to spend less time with God. We are teaching you to spend more time with God. The first point in the big picture is that we are at war. Yes, we are at war. The second point in the big picture, is that the enemy has a strategy. The third point in the big picture is that God has the winning strategy. And the fourth point in the big picture is that we, as parents, must know God's winning strategy and implement it. We are at war. The enemy has a strategy. God has the winning strategy. And we believers who are parents or who care for his children, not necessarily biological parents, but who care for his children, must know and implement God's winning strategy. The parent who will succeed must know that we are at war. I'm dealing now with the first point. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12 at verse 17, let me give you a little tip in writing notes. When I say Revelation 12:17, you write 12:17, and by the time you finish writing the book, you forget the reference, isn't it? 12:17. The scripture says the dragon, that is Satan, was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. And then it tells us who those offspring are. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. The moment you declare your friendship, your worship of the Lord Jesus... You become a target of the enemy. Before you knew the Lord, you belonged to the enemy and you considered God to be your enemy. But God was never your enemy. God loves you so much that he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He paid the price for that transfer. But now that you are God's child, the enemy is targeting you we're talking about the big picture aren't we he is targeting your child he is targeting the parent we are at war and the spoils of the war are the hearts and the minds and the soul of our children to those three phrases those three words Ring a bell. When the Lord was asked, what's the greatest command? How do you respond? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Not just the mind. The Pharisees love God with their mind. God says, no, not just the mind. The mind, the heart, and the soul. And those three areas are the target of the enemy. They are the spoils of the war. Spoils is what you gather and run away with after you've won the war. We are at war. And the spoils of the war are the hearts and the minds of our children. Therefore, the Lord says in Proverbs 4 and, 20, and verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the springs of life. Guard it. That word guard is a military term. You don't walk into state house. There's a layer of guards before you go in there. Guard your heart. With all diligence for out of it flow the springs of life. We are at war. The enemy is targeting those who belong to Christ. And the Lord has helped us to identify this enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, the scripture says to us, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, against evil authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world against evil spirits in the heavenly places and friends the more western education you receive the more you think that this is superstition this is the word of god that's who we are fighting against they are unseen but they are real and they wage war relentlessly we are an enemy is not your neighbor The enemy is not your child. The enemy is not your spouse. There is a real enemy out there. Let me give you an example of Job. The book of Job, chapter 1 and verse 8, the Lord is having a conversation with Satan. And the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. What a testimony from the Lord. He is blameless. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. You may remember a time when the Lord went to the house of Martha and Mary. You remember how Mary sat at his feet and Martha was preparing a meal and the Lord used two words to describe Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Remember that? He used two words to describe Martha. Worried and bothered. The Lord is using a different set of words to describe Job. Blameless. Blameless. Man of complete integrity fears God. Now, he could have put a full stop right there, but he adds, shuns evil or stays away from evil. There are men and women who do acts that can be interpreted as acts that show they fear God, but in their private life they do not shun evil. God says he's the finest man, he fears God, shuns evil, and this. Is a picture of the kind of man, the kind of woman that God wants to see roaming around the earth. This man or this woman is not just born. They are born and then they are raised by godly parents. Godly people don't just happen. Someone connects them to God and they are raised to become godly. And when you become a grown up, the scripture says to you, train yourself to be godly. Don't blame the pastor. Don't blame the neighbor. This is our responsibility. Train yourself to be godly. If the Lord was to call out your name, what words might he use to describe you? Would he use the Martha words or the Job words? I pray He'd use the Job words. Now Job didn't know what was going on up there. All he received was disaster upon his life. But when the Lord was about to go through a crucifixion, he leaked a secret to his disciples and specifically to Sam, to, to Simon. And this secret is leaked to him. It's recorded for us in Luke. Chapter 22, verse 31 to 33, Luke 22, 31 to 33. The Lord says, Simon, Simon. He says it twice as if to catch his attention. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The Lord gave Simon a glimpse of the war that's going on. This war is going on, whether you see it or not. The Lord gave him a glimpse Simon, this is what happened. Be prepared. You know what Simon said? Lord, I'm ready to go with you, even to prison and to death. You don't argue with the Lord. Don't argue with the Lord. Even if your body is, don't argue with the Lord. As we all know, he was sifted. As we all know, he denied knowing the Lord. As we all know, he repented in tears. As we all know, he came back and strengthened the brothers. We are at war. And the spoils of the war are the hearts and the minds of our children. I've shown you the picture of Job. I've shown you the picture of Simon, what's going on in the background. Let me show you one more picture of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 12 to 14. Daniel receives a message after he's been praying for 21 days. Do not be afraid, Daniel, he said, for from the first day that you purpose to understand And to humble yourself before the Lord your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. He's not talking about a man who's a prince. He's talking about the war that took place up there. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision concerns those days. If you are not convinced, spend time with the scriptures and you will know we are at war. My second point is that for us to succeed as parents today, we must know that the enemy has a strategy. The enemy has a strategy. And one of these strategies is revealed to us in the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down for he who accuses them day and night for our God. The enemy is called the accuser of the brothers. Do you have men and women in your family who accuse each other? Is it possible that the enemy is using their lips even without their permission? It is possible. As I'll show you in a moment. The enemy's strategy is the accuser of the brethren. Another strategy is... uh, is shown to us. That same strategy of being an accuser is demonstrated to us back in the book of Job in that conversation that the Lord began with Satan. Job chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Satan replied to the Lord, this is continuing from the previous verse, have you seen my servant Job? Satan replied to the Lord, yes, 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 I've seen him, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around these three things the enemy is looking for. Around him, the person. Around his home, including the children. And around his property. Around him, around his home, and around his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he'll surely, what's that next word? Curse you. What's the enemy's goal? Is for Job to curse the Lord. Where the enemy knows that he cannot fight, he cannot curse whom God has blessed, he tries to get that person to curse God. He wants to put you on a collision path with the Lord, then he can step back. Do you remember when Balak invited Balaam to curse Israel? And Balaam couldn't do it. And if, you, if, you, if your knowledge of Balaam is restricted to what you read in the Old Testament, you might ask yourself, you know, what's wrong? You know, this is a pretty good man. He, he couldn't curse. Israel, He couldn't curse whom God has blessed. Oh, until you read the New Testament and gives you a glimpse of who the man really was. He had the right words on his lips. I cannot curse whom God has blessed. But behind the scenes, he goes and has a word with Balak and tells him how they can incite the Israelites to sleep around with the Midianite women. He knows if he gets... Israel to sin against God, he puts them on a collision path with the Lord. He doesn't have to curse them to achieve his goal. And that's exactly what he did. Remember that situation? Was it Finahaz that took a spear and speared through a couple who was lying out there with everybody watching? Remember that in a tent? A plague had already broken out because of their sin. And 23,000 24,000? More than 20,000 had already died. The enemy knew his strategy. Now he wants Job to curse God. The enemy has his way with Job, with limitations. And whatever happens to Job looks like natural disasters. His cattle and donkeys were stolen. Cattle rustlers, this being reported in the newspaper, they would say in this part of whatever land it was, their cattle rustlers attacked and stole the cattle of one of the wealthiest men in the area. That's how it would go. Or they might say a tornado hit that area and tore apart the roofs. What happened to Job looked like nothing more than natural disaster, but the enemy was behind it. And then he struck his children dead. And then he went for Job's health. Keep that word curse in mind, because we're going to come back to it. Another strategy of the enemy is that he blinds non-believers. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 to 4, the gospel says Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why? So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They cannot. The things of God are the things of the spirit. And the ordinary mind cannot understand them. The enemy has blinded them. That's why I keep on saying you study CRE in school but never become believers from it. You get A for a grade but it doesn't do you any good. You get A in CRE, A in physics, A in math. And when people look at your paper they say, ooh, he'll make a good engineer. Nobody ever says you'll make a good minister from your end CRE. Nobody even thinks about it. Why not? Most of the teachers are unbelievers, aren't they? You get the knowledge, but not the transformation. Because even the teachers have been veiled. The enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That light displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is an enemy strategy. Tragedy number three is revealed to us in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26. Where well, the Lord wants us to speak to men and women so they can come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. And look at that next phrase. Who has taken them captive to do his will. Friends, there is the will of man and woman. There is the will of God, and there is the will of the devil. God never forces men and women to do his will. He appeals to them. Joshua says to the Israelites, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The Lord appeals to you. He tells you the danger of not serving him, but he lets you make up your mind. The enemy, on the other hand, captures you to do his will. You see men and women running around completely out of control. Their lives have been ruined by alcohol. And when they are sober and you ask if they could go for rehabilitation... They say, but I'm not addicted. And they've been there for 40 years. Held captive to do the will of Satan. And their lives are revolving in a circle. I'd love to research on this, Reverend Kimori. I wonder if there's a little spirit in those people that enjoys that alcohol when they drink it. I wonder. That could be taken out of those people and they can be sober again. I just wonder I'd love to do research on that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the enemy captures people to do his will. He makes them do it. When they are sober, they don't like what they did. Then they go back to it. But in this next strategy, number four, Satan can use a family member. Remember, we're looking at the big picture in parenting. You're thinking, he's not talking parenting. I'm giving you the big picture. They will come back and talk about it. Satan can use a family member. In Job chapter 2 and verse 9, talking about Job's wife, as far as I know, the only surviving members of his family, his wife said to him, to Job, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? And what's that next word? Curse God and die. When did you last hear that word? As part of certain strategy. I don't think Mrs. Job was an evil woman. I don't think so. But the enemy, having failed at these other strategies, comes to a family member who loves you. And who speaks as if she's speaking from her heart. Curse God and die he can sneak words into your mouth in the family you can use words that build each other but you can use words that tear down people when you are angry you are most vulnerable the scripture says be angry but do not sin do not let unwholesome words proceed from your mouth they can begin to brew within you but put a mute on it don't let them come out but only such a word as is fitting for the occasion that will give grace to those who hear. Have you watched Kenyan family shows on television? People are quarreling all the time. Isn't that true? They are quarreling all the time. Is that our culture? Maybe you don't want to admit it, but perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. Quarreling all the time? That is not from God. The servant of God must not be quarrelsome, the scripture says. Job answered his wife, you speak like one of those foolish women. Shall we only accept good from God and not adversity? Job is in trouble, but his eyes remain focused on God. He will not be distracted by what's going on around. Even though. What was going on on around was very painful to his family and to himself. In all this, the scripture says, God, uh, Job, retained his integrity. We must be aware of this enemy's strategy. Point number five, he can easily outwit us. He can easily trick us into something. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, I'm not sure who he's talking about here, but I have an idea. He may be speaking about the man in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping with his father's wife, who had been chucked out of church for discipline so that uh, he may repent and turn around. It doesn't reveal to us what's being spoken about here, but we think it's that man. Because now having repented is being asked, bring him back. Bring him back in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. You have met men and women who walk around saying, I have been hurt by the church. In some of those cases, they were living in sin. The church took action. The action did not go the way they wanted it to go. And now they walk around with a long face saying, I have been hurt by the church. Or maybe one church member or one minister or an elder spoke a word that did not resonate with them and now they blame the entire body of Christ for doing something wrong. That's the strategy of the enemy. Because once you walk around saying, I've been hurt by the church, then you can't turn to the church when you're in trouble. He is one. He is one. Be careful. Some of you sitting here may have been hurt by the church, so to speak. Question yourself carefully. What is it the church said to you that hurt you? Put the feelings on the side for a moment and ask yourself was what they said truthful? And if it was truthful, go back to the church and repent and ask them to connect you to the Lord. Knowing the enemy's strategy, we are told in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9, therefore be sober-minded and alert. Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And my friend, he'll come into your gated community. You went there because you wanted to be safe. But with the internet, the entire world is your neighbor. Or even without the internet, huh? Was the enemy at work before the internet? Yes, he was. So don't blame the modern days. Don't blame these days. In the days of of Noah, every thought that they thought was evil all the time, continually, and when the Lord looked for a righteous man, he found how many? One. I dare say it was worse in those days than it is today. He'll at least find this congregation if he was looking for righteous people. At, I hope so. I hope he would. He wouldn't just find Reverend Kimori alone with his wife. I hope the entire congregation says, yes, Lord, we are here. In the days of God, it was so bad. Don't blame the modern days. The enemy is using the modern technology, but the enemy can work without it. The enemy can use you and is using you without that technology. The baggage you brought in from your background, that alcohol thing, wasn't because of the enemy using technology. Stop blaming technology. It is a pathway that he can use and does use but is fully at work without it and accomplishes his purposes without it. Be sober-minded, alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And if he happens to stop by your house, the scripture says, resist him. Standing firm in your faith and in the knowledge that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. What was the first point? We are at war. What was the second point? The enemy has a strategy. Now the third point, that the Lord has the winning strategy. The parent who will succeed must know that God has the winning strategy. And at this point, I'll give you a few points. Number one, That God is omnipresent, but he needs to be revealed. God is present everywhere, but if you are blind to him, you won't see him. One of my mentors when I was growing up said to me, Stan, Men will hide from other men to do evil, but they'll do it in the full sight of the living God. Men will hide from other men to do evil. And as soon as long as no other person has seen them, they feel safe. But Jeremiah 23 and verse 24 says this can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? declares the Lord. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? declares the Lord. You men, and you women, and you children. There are things you hide from each other and have successfully done so for a long time. Husbands whose wives don't know the password to their phone. Listen, passwords are to keep intruders out. Your wife is not an intruder They are to keep intruders down, out, and your husband is not an intruder. And why are you afraid for your teenage son to find out what's on your phone anyway? And if your phone is so protected, why are you surprised that your teenage son's phone is protected and you can't get in? You've trained them that way, haven't you? Children. One of the biggest moments for a child is when they learn to deceive their parent and their parent doesn't find out. And they're thinking, yes! Be careful. Can a man hide himself in hiding place? I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. If you hide to do evil... It means you have no fear of God. Plain and simple. You have fear of man, but no fear of God. You can hide from man because of human consequence, but you're not afraid of God's consequence. Be careful. Be very careful. It's a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The second point, and at this point, is that God clothed himself in human flesh as part of his strategy. So, number one, he's omnipresent. But number two, he clothed himself in human flesh. And in that flesh, he was so ordinary, so ordinary, that it took Judas to kiss him on the cheek for those who would capture him to crucify him to be sure they had the right man. Or oh, yes, they would seen him preaching. They knew him, but they didn't quite know him. They wanted to make sure we crucified the right man. It took Judas to kiss him before they knew. In John 1 and verse 29, and also verse 34, 33 and 34, John the Baptist is speaking. The scripture says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down. Toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist is about six months older than the Lord. By blood, they are cousins. You would have thought John knew that. You would have thought he knew my cousin is the savior. God was clothed in human flesh and could walk around incognito until he is revealed. The Lord revealed to John who Christ was. But let me tell you something. In the spirit world, You cannot be incognito. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 24, the Lord's in the synagogue and there is a devil-possessed man in there and he cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You can't hide in that flesh. We know you. Or again, In Matthew 8 and 29, this is with the man who had legion. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before our appointed time? Notice the similarities in the two phrases. The one says destroy, the other says torture. They know their end. They know it. And although they terrorize humans made in the image of God, they know their end will come. And when they see the Son of God, they are terrified. Has our time come? Will you destroy us before our time? They, they know he has the capacity to do that. The Lord can pass by and by humans. But the spirit world, the world that is waging war against us, the children of God, is fully aware and God wants you and you and you to be fully aware. Because when he sneaks around your home and takes over your children, he may do so using you. Be aware of that. Parenting is not just skills of parenting. We have to see the big picture so that we can parent the way God wants us to parent. Number three, and at this point, is that God will destroy the works of the enemy. Remember, the devils were saying, Have you come to destroy us before our time? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 to 9, the scripture says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's just part of the verse. The reason. The Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. And the devils are aware of it. You too ought to be aware of it. Point number four, under this point, that we, you and I, are God's agents for reconciliation. The scripture says that now all these things are from God. This is Second Corinthians five, eighteen to twenty-one. 2 Corinthians five, eighteen to twenty-one. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespass against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be seen on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, when there's fights in the family and the disagreements in the family, the natural way is to go your different ways. The natural way is to go to court to help you resolve what you can't agree on. Land cases are in court for 20 or 30 years and if the principals involved in the land cases die and their children continue to fight and they die and the grandchildren don't even know why people are fighting. Our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. If you lost one meter of land to your brother, even knowing it rightfully belongs to you, and if by losing that one meter, you're winning for Christ, who has won in the end? You have won in the end. A a small piece of land is not worth losing a relationship on. Families fighting For a small piece of real estate. Come on, guys. Sit down and agree. Sit down and agree. Don't let the enemy use that. When you're fighting, you cannot simultaneously be reconciled to the Lord. Point number five under this point. That God's battle strategy leads to victory. God's battle strategy leads to victory. The book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11. Scripture says, they overcame him. Who are they? The children of the woman who are receiving all this bombardment from the enemy. The ones who believed in They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony. You do need to have a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do. Because that's part of the victory strategy. He shed his blood. We receive him. And have a testimony. You overcome the evil one. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Knowing God's strategy has not been fully explained. I've just given you glimpses of it. Knowing God's strategy, the fourth big picture. Remember the first big picture? We are at war. The second, the enemy has a strategy. The third, God has a winning. Who will implement God's strategy? This parent knows God's strategy and implements it and becomes a disciple-making parent. You know God's strategy. You implement it and become a disciple-making parent. Here's 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 the first point under this particular point. Number one is that God reveals His secrets to his people. God reveals his secrets. In Psalm 25 and verse 14, the scripture says the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. We met a man earlier on who fears God. Who was he? Job. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will make known his covenant to the one who fears him. It's World Cup season, isn't it? And two teams play, one wins, one loses, the winning team rejoices, the, the losing team cries, and then the winning team goes to another, another game, and then they lose, then they cry, the other. In the end, there will be one winner of the World Cup. Just one. All the rejoicing teams will at some point cry. <laughs> Except one, right? Now in God's kingdom, there's not one winner. We can all win. The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. He's not looking for one winner. He wants all of us to win. And we, all of us, can choose to fear the Lord. And the Lord says he'll reveal to us. So God does reveal his secrets. Point number two. Is that the believer who would win, the parent who would win, number two, introduces their children to the Lord. Introduces them. We all know about Samuel, don't we? Who was Samuel? Son of Hannah and Elkanah. A child of promise. She prayed. Prayed so hard. Eli thought she was drunk. And began to blame her for being drunk. He says, my Lord, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm just crying out to the Lord. Then he blessed her. In those days, the word of God was rare. Visions were infrequent. When Samuel had been weaned and taken to Eli to take care of him, the Lord began to speak to Samuel. The only voice Samuel is accustomed to is the voice of Eli. So he runs to Eli and says, you spoke to me. Eli says, no, I didn't call you. The word of God was rare. Eli didn't initially recognize God was talking. About the third time, Eli realizes that God is talking. Why is it that Samuel couldn't quite immediately connect with the Lord? You know why? In 1 Samuel 3 and verse 7. 1 Samuel 3, 7, the scripture says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now that's very interesting. That a young man is serving in the temple, that a young man is hearing God's voice, but cannot connect the dots. Even though Eli had many, many problems, Eli connected Samuel to the Lord. Though Samuel was a child of promise, Samuel did not instinctively know the Lord. And many of you had your children up here on stage, serving the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Let me ask you to be specific and intentional in connecting those children to the Lord. It is possible to serve in the temple before you know the Lord. But once the connection was made, oh, Samuel went on to do exploits for the Lord. The scripture says of Samuel that none of his words fell to the ground. Perhaps your child is waiting for you to connect him to the Lord. Perhaps Reverend Kimori, that's your responsibility. And once I get that child, when Samuel was dedicated to the Lord, he was left in the temple. When your child was dedicated, you took him back home, right? It's your responsibility to nurture that child. <laughs> Serving in church does not necessarily result in godly children. Shall I give an example of that? Sons of Eli. First Samuel 2 and verse 12. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Ay, 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 Who is Belial? The devil himself. Ay, 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 They were wicked, worthless fellows, the Bible says. they it adds, they did not know the Lord. They were in the temple, but they did not know the Lord. The Lord wanted to pass His blessing to his people through Eli, through his sons, and the generations to follow, but that could not continue. The baton had to stop right there, and the Lord turned to Samuel, and the Lord told Samuel his frustrations. Can the children in your home be compared to Eli's children? I pray not. I pray they be compared to Samuel. Point number three, and at this particular point, that the parent who would succeed knows that the responsibility of connecting children to the Lord is their responsibility. This parent knows that this is my responsibility. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18 to 19, scripture says, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart. And on your soul. Ah, those words are popping up again. Heart and soul. What are we supposed to do with those with the scriptures? Impress them. Learn them in such a way that they leave an impression which cannot be removed. Impress them on your heart and your soul. Not just your children's heart and soul. Verse 18 is a parent verse. Before you teach them to your children, impress them on your heart and soul. Bind them as a sign of your hand, on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall take them to your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up, in other words, all the time. That is your responsibility. The church will equip you to do that. And I know that this church has been equipped because I've been part of that process. Have you been equipped? Now you go in on and impress this to your children. If what you learned came in through one ear and came out the other ear, it's time to go back to class and learn these truths until they make an impression on you. And in passing them to our children, when does the process start? It starts very early. Why? Because children believe something the first time they hear it. Friends, the relationship that we have with our children, the relationships that parents have with their children, this relationship forms the template for subsequent relationships. And impressions formed us for the rest of our lives. So you want to impress these children with God's word at an early age. But friends, it goes beyond the impression of speaking to them our character and our behavior has bigger impression on our children. There's a parent who was telling his kids not to drink, but he was drinking. Until his little girl came to him and and took up the glass of beer and began to sniff it. Says, Dad, it smells so good. Then he realized, oh my goodness. All that I have said has made no sense to this child. They will do what I'm doing. At that point, it hit him. If I want my children to follow after me, I must walk a path that I'll be proud if they follow. That, for him, was the day to turn away from alcohol. When the little girl liked the smell of what daddy was drinking. Point number four under this point, in, in terms of starting early, this, the point Point number four is start early. Okay? And at this point, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, 2 Timothy 3:15, scripture says, from infancy you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3:15. From infancy, that word infant is a baby. Babies cannot necessarily process things intellectually but God is not limited to the intellect when he's expressing himself to children. God when Mary's greeting reached John the Baptist's mother Elizabeth, the baby leaped in her womb and the the angel had said that baby will be filled by the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. What we call fetus, the Lord calls baby. What we call unable to communicate, God is able to communicate. So we begin from infancy. Muslims know this. And they pray in the ears of their newborn and tell them that Allah the prophet. They know. They know that the child knows. The child somehow absorbs that. So what does time in the scriptures for this parent look like knowing this big picture how does this parent relate to the scriptures this parent number 1 is consistent in their intake of scripture they are consistent and systematic they are not moving from place to place it is not wrong to move from place to place but they are also consistent and systematic Point number two, they take in God's word in chewable bites. They take in God's word in chewable bites. Number three, they do this with the children. They do this with the children. Number four, they approach God prayerfully. Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. They don't read the word academically. They approach it prayerfully. Because they know the things of the spirit of God are hidden. This is open my eyes. The Lord. Not only did he clothe himself in, 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 in physical flesh and die for us. But he also allows us. He allows our bodies of the believer to house his soul. Among men, the scripture says, knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of that man. Likewise, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Then goes on to say, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things bestowed on us by God. He sneaked into human flesh and then he puts his spirit in us. His strategy, if you look at his strategy, it it cannot, must not fail if we are aware of it. And then goes on to say that we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have the mind of Christ. Is the mind of Christ activated in you? If you're going to be a succeeding and winning parent, it needs to be activated. Point number five Number four was approaching the word of God prayerfully. Number five, this person, this parent processes the word of God and lingers on it until God reveals himself in it. They are not reading through the scriptures in a hurry. They are lingering there until the Lord reveals himself in the scriptures. Point number six, they record what God is teaching them with their children. They record it. They have a record of what God is teaching them. Then point number seven, they act on the truth. Scripture says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This man or woman parent in their parenting journey hides God's word in their heart. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Scripture says God's hand is not too short that it cannot save, nor is his ear too dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities that have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. This parent is aware of that, but is also aware of how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, he's aware, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. This is not a verse for children to memorize and impress you when they recite it. This is a verse for the parent raising those children to have memorized because they know that's part of God's strategy. Listen to what Job did. In Job 23 and verse 12 in this context. Job 23 verse 12. I have not failed the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job did not earn the title of blameless, righteous, fearing God. Shining evil for nothing. He trained himself to be godly. And God is wanting you and I as parents to train ourselves to be godly. Point number nine. This parent does not have a casual relationship with God, but an intimate one. Not a casual relationship, but an intimate one. Number ten. This parent is aware That bad company corrupts good morals. Therefore, this parent not only engages with his or her children, but connects with a network of those children. And together works with them in knowing the Lord. Friends, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Remember, you didn't have to be a parent. You don't have to be. But once you're a parent, you cannot give up the journey of raising children. You gotta invest in them and raise them. So this parent is aware that bad company corrupts good morals. Therefore, he or she engages not only with their children but their network of relationships. Friends, children are always draining us emotionally by asking many questions. The parent is the fueler, the child is the drainer. And many times, the parent runs dry, doesn't have any more to give. So the child looks around and turns around their peers. The peer is the biggest negative influence to the child. Therefore, you take note of that and make up your mind to be connected to the Lord, to be a fueler, otherwise you run dry. So as you fuel your child, you are fueling from the Lord, and then you connect your child to the Lord, and then you connect your child and their peers to the Lord. Let your house be the home where they hang out. They not only play and you know, play, uh, eat popcorn and play computer games, they also get into the scripture led by you, the parent. Because you are aware of the big strategy. That we are at war. And the spoils of the war are the hearts and the minds of our children. You are aware that the enemy has a strategy. And that includes negative peer pressure on your child. You are aware of that. But you are also aware that God's strategy, God has a winning strategy. And being aware of that... And knowing that bad company corrupts good morals, you bring these kids together and minister to them together. Then, they will not be bad company to each other. Point number 11. This parent becomes a gospel carrier. Becomes a gospel carrier and raises children who are gospel carriers? This parent knows that the work of the church is to equip the saints to do the work of service. And they go around knowing they are the saints and they will do the work of service in their family, in their neighborhood. They will not blame the church when things are not going well in the neighborhood. They will go to the church and ask for help, but they will go and implement it. In one sense, the church is everywhere. In another sense, the local assembly is limited. But you are the true church. After we go to our homes today, the church will be dispersed. But the church remains the church. You are the church in dispersion. And you will bring the message of Christ not only to your children, but your neighborhood. You are a gospel carrier and you will raise children who are gospel carriers. That's part of God's strategy. You will not involve yourself in civilian affairs, but you will please the master who enrolled you for his service. You will not spend 30 minutes a day in devotions and then spend three hours a week watching so called adult movies. Do we have adult movies? Children, are there such a thing as adult movies? Tell us, don't fear. You've heard about it, isn't it? You can't walk that because it's for adults, isn't it? Tell me, children, what do those movies contain? I'll tell you what they contain. You might not know. They contain foul language. They contain violence. They contain people who are naked, They contain people having sex. And the enemy's strategy is to label all of that adult. And we have swallowed that strategy. And we're telling children, you can't watch it. It's for adults. And this child is 14. They are waiting to become adults and to watch the forbidden. And then they become 18. And they begin to do all those things that you had forbidden them but have told them they are for adults, and you think they are rebellious? They are carrying out what you told them. You can't do it before you become an adult, but you can once you are an adult. That's how they have been cultured. Why Why are we preoccupied with the kids being wrong? We were wrong in the message we gave to them because we swallowed the enemy's lie. That's his strategy. Friends, In the olden days, in the farms of ADC, hybrid maize, they made sure that there was at least a half-acre strip of land around that hybrid maize uh, plantation that did not have other maize. And that the neighbors who were growing maize grew the same maize as this maize being grown for seed. Why? Because they know that the wind blows, and pollen flies around. You do not raise good quality maize in one plot while keeping low quality maize next door. You will not be a holy vessel if you spend 30 minutes a day in the Lord and then spend three hours a week washing filth. And in case you think that's my opinion, Look at what the scripture says in Ephesians 5 and verse 3. In Ephesians 5 and verse 3, scripture says, among you, among you, there must not even be a hint, a hint, a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because this is improper for God's holy people. You will not be a holy person while feasting on that content. And the world has sneaked it to our kids. You watch a cartoon, even Mickey Mouse has become gay these days. Ah! They make you like a character, and then they sneak in their agenda. It's going on. We must know the enemy's strategy. And we must remember that God has a winning strategy. But you are God's agent in implementing his strategy. Number 11 and I've got two more slides and I'll be done. This parent is diligent to present himself approved to God as a worker who is not ashamed. As one who accurately handles the word of truth according to Second Timothy two and verse fifteen. And lastly, this worker, this parent, is preoccupied with what preoccupies the Lord, is preoccupied with what preoccupies the Lord. When the Lord is thinking about his coming back, he's not preoccupied by how many highways he will see or how many of the modern things he will see. He'll not come back in a rocket. He'll come back riding a horse. (laughs) Horse. A horse. He doesn't need modern technology to come back. But there's a question that preoccupies him. And that question is spelled out for us in Luke 18 and verse 8. The question is this. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That question bothers the Lord. Will he find faith on the earth? As a victory faith parent, you must say, yes, Lord, you will find faith. You will find it. Not just faith, you'll find faithful people. I'm going to be one of them, Lord, and I'll present to you the boys and girls, by that time there may be men and women whom you've given them to me, and I've raised them according to your word because I know your strategy. You must know the big picture. If you don't know the big picture, you'll be preoccupied with the small details. But once you know the big picture, you're not just a bricklayer, you are building the cathedral. Then you wake up every morning longing to do the details of the part that you play in for the big picture to be accomplished. God is coming for his church and wants you and your children to be part of it. Will you raise a godly generation for the Lord? Or will you succumb to the enemy's strategy? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, you... You're always speaking. It's us who are not always listening. But I pray that in the service today some have heard what you said. We ask Lord that you would remove the veil from the eyes of unbelievers seated here today and watching on YouTube. Remove the veil that they may see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ who is in the image of the living God. Lord, they cannot see unless that veil is removed. Cause circumstances to happen around them. Send people to them who will help them with the removal of this veil. That they may see you. Help us, Lord, to see that although the enemy's strategy Is being pushed by governments and individuals and systems of this world that you have the winning strategy. Thank you, Father. And that your work, part of your work, was to destroy the work of the devil. And as discerning parents, we recognize that work, but we also recognize you have the winning strategy, and we choose to implement your strategy. We choose to learn it we choose to invest in it and become implementers of it that we may present ourselves and our families mature and complete lacking nothing is there any among you as a parent who has been taken captive to do the will of the enemy it is hard and probably even embarrassing to admit it but you do need to admit it as a first step towards victory is there anyone eyes closed you stick up your hand I'm looking around yes even among the children there are some hands that have gone up thank you so much Lord thank you for the sensitivity of the children and the adults who realize that they've been captured to do your will and they want to be freed up from that. Let me encourage you to come forward. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Come forward. The Lord Will set you free there are some of you who have been blinded you've heard the gospel so many times and your response is diplomatic the one who is speaking to you say I'm glad that works for you oh that statement that too is an enemy strategy because the gospel is supposed to work for all of us perhaps you don't see it because you are blinded there are believers who are blinded. They lack an aspect of God, but they don't embrace the entire gospel. They lack the God who is loving, but not the one who judges. Oh, the same God who loves also judges. Take a step towards the Lord. Resist the enemy. Submit yourself to God. Resist the enemy. Come forward. Reverend Kimori will pray for you. There may be others who just know that you need help. In your parenting journey, you don't really can't put a finger on the help that you need. But this message has resonated with you. Come. Put up your hand and come. Just come. The church will help you reconnect with the Lord. You are coming before the Lord, not before two men. We are simply agents of God. Come, come, get help. Children, the Lord worry about what mommy will think or daddy will think. This is your Samuel moment with the Lord. Come. Don't worry about what other kids will ask you. What have you been struggling with? Don't worry about that. Just come. Get connected to the Lord. The one who has a winning strategy. Pray after me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I've struggled in my life. I've struggled in my life. You know my struggle. You know my struggle. I've been held captive by the enemy to do his will. I've been held captive by the enemy to do his will. You came to destroy the works of Satan. To destroy the works of Satan. Will you destroy the works of Satan in my life? Will you destroy the works of Satan in my life? I invite you to my life. I invite you to my life. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. I confess my sin to you. I confess my sins. I'm going to pause for a moment and in your own heart confess the specific sin that brought you here. Some of you are on pornography. You're meditating on sex. Some of you are cheating on your spouses. Some of you are thieves. No one knows it except you some of you are just rebellious against the lord you think this message is for another some of you are caught up in addictive habits but you do not admit it the admission is part of the journey to victory lord would you give me victory over this sinful habit repeat after me lord would you give me victory over this sinful habit Lord, will you give me victory over these sinful habits? I submit myself to you. I submit myself Lord. I've never given my life to you, Lord. I've never given my life. Today, I want to give myself to you. Today, I want to give myself. Some of you will say, "Lord, I've given my life to you in the past, but I want to rededicate myself to you, Lord." We cannot cover all the bases, but you know the needs of humanity. Will you hear the cry of your children and respond to them? Thank you, Father. And in that area of parenting where they have failed, would you come through for them? Thank you. Father. There are some among you who are angry at your parents because of how they raised you. Would you forgive your parents and receive God's forgiveness? Thank you, Father. Some of you just need to back up your mind come to church and learn how to parent effectively using God's ways. So Father, I pray your blessing on all those who've come here asking for your help. Your word says you'll seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Ignite a hunger in the hearts of those who have come that this moving forward is not the only step of faith they have taken, but the hunger will continue to burn within them. And they'll continue to seek you continuously. Lord, your word says, call upon me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things you do not know. Will these who have come forward and those who are afraid to come forward, but who truly want to call upon you, will they call upon you? Would you hear them? Because you watch of your word fulfillment. Thank you, Father. You are a promise keeping God. Will this church and the families represented here be eternally transformed because of decisions made by those who have come forward. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.